Welcome to episode 11 of The Power of Books. My name is Timo Jüppner, I'm the founder of Timo's Notes and every week I interview popular non-fiction authors about their best-selling books. The goal of the show is to introduce you to new books and to provide you with helpful advice and practical tools to live a better life. My guest today is Rich Devini. Rich is a best-selling author, leadership and human performance expert and retired Navy SEAL commander. In a career spanning more than 20 years, he completed more than 13 overseas deployments. Since retiring from the Navy, Rich has worked as a speaker, facilitator and consultant with the Chapman & Co. Leadership Institute, Simon Sinek Inc. and is now founder and CEO of The Attributes Inc. Currently, Rich speaks and consults on leadership, high-performing teams, assessment and selection and optimal performance. He has worked with thousands of businesses, athletic and military leaders from organizations such as American Airlines, the San Francisco 49ers, Zoom and Deloitte. In his book The Attributes, Rich defines the 25 core attributes in practical ways and shares stories from the military, business and relationships to show how understanding your own attributes and those of the people around you can create optimal performance in every area of your life. From our conversation, you can expect to learn the difference between optimal performance and peak performance, which attributes create drive, how you can assess and develop your own attributes, and a lot more. So now let's get right into our conversation. Enjoy the show. Rich Divini, it's good to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Timo, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to talk about your book, The Attributes, and in it you talk about the difference between optimal performance and peak performance. And I want you to elaborate a little on that and why you focus more on optimal, optimal performance. Yeah, of course. You know, um, one, the, the reason is because, and again, peak performance, everybody wants to pe peak nowadays. They want to peak everywhere, peak all the time. And, and, uh, and, and people used to say, uh, you, you Navy SEALs, you must be the ultimate peak performers. Um, but I would disagree with that because peak is, by definition, an apex. Um, and there's only one place you can go from the apex, and that's down, right? And, and oftentimes, peak has to be planned for and scheduled and prepared for. So in other words, the pro football player plans and schedules his entire week so he can peak on game day, right? And, and we just don't get that opportunity to do that. And so I really defined it as optimal performance. Optimal performance is defined as I'm going to do the best I can in the moment, whatever the best looks like in that moment. And so sometimes our best looks like peak and everything's cool and it's flow states and everything's cool, uh, you know, kicking and everything's going great. But sometimes our best is it's, it's really hard. We're just head down going step by step because that's all we have right now. And, and it's dirty and it's ugly and it's gritty and it's painful. That is still performing optimally because you're still moving, you're still performing. And so, so optimal performance can be thought of as like an umbrella underneath which you can have peak performance, you can have just gutting it out, you can have recovery, but you have a whole range of different performance levels that allow you to really um, manage yourself uh, appropriately. Because again, I, I, I kind of joke, I don't need to be peak when I'm driving to the grocery store. Um, and in fact, you know, um, you know, one of the myth, the kind of the mythologies around Navy SEALs, 
is that, you know, before a mission, we were all like huddled up and, you know, hoo-yawing and high-fiving like a sports team getting ready to, to take the field. And it was never like that. And in fact, a lot of times we'd be in our, in our helicopters flying to flying into combat and guys would be asleep. They'd be napping. And the reason is because we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to be required. We don't know how long we're going to be out there. And there was no, none of us were going to waste any precious energy by doing things we didn't need to do. Um, we we're going to be recovering while we need to recover so that we could peak on demand. So, so optimal performance allows us a real broad range of energy expenditure and allows us to modulate ourselves in a way that allows us to play the long game and not, um, and not burn out. Cause if we try to peak all the time, we're just going to burn out. So that's the idea. Hmm. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So to give the people who don't know your book yet a little context about what we're going to talk about today, can you maybe quickly explain what you mean with attributes and what makes them different to, let's say, skills? Yeah, of course. Um, so so I, I, I had to do this work when I was running a kind of a specialized selection process for the SEALs, and we had to figure out why guys were not making it um, and try to explain that. And what, I, what, what it forced me to do is kind of really look at performance differently and say, what are we actually measuring and what are we looking at when it comes to our performance? And, and I discovered the difference between these attributes and skills. Um, and so just to kind of lay it out for your audience, skills are not inherent to our nature. In other words, none of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or in the military case, shoot a gun. Um, skills direct our behavior in known and specific environments. So they say, okay, here's how and when to throw a ball or ride a bike or shoot a gun. Um, and then finally, skills, because they're visible, they're easy to see, they're also easy to assess, measure, and test. You can see how well anyone does any one of those things, um, whether it's, again, throwing a ball or riding a bike. <clears throat> you can also train and, and, and teach a skill. What skills, and this is why, by the way, we're seduced by skills when we're picking teams. We're looking at these visible things. But what skills don't tell us is how we're going to show up in stress, <clears throat> challenge, and uncertainty. Because in an unknown environment, it's very difficult to apply a known skill. And this is when we lean on our attributes. Attributes, on the other hand, are elemental. In other words, all of us are born with levels of patience, situation awareness, adaptability, right? Now, we can certainly develop those things over time and experience, but But we can see levels of this stuff in very small children, which means there's a nature-nurture element to attributes. Attributes don't direct our behavior. Attributes inform our behavior. They tell us how we're going to show up to specific environments, right? So in other words, my son's levels of resilience and perseverance informed how he showed up when he was learning the skill of riding a bike, and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Um, and then finally, because they're hidden in the background, they're difficult to see. Um, they're also difficult to assess, measure, and test. They are the most visible and visceral during times of stress, challenge, and uncertainty, which is, of course, what made my laboratory of SEAL training so so great because everything about SEAL training is throwing guys into stress, challenge, and uncertainty. But what we have to recognize about these attributes is if we're not considering attributes, again, these qualities, in performance evaluation or even hiring, we're missing a huge aspect of performance, especially when we're trying to predict how people are operating and not only operating in stress and challenge, but also operating and interacting with each other as a team. So, so I studied this when I was in the SEAL teams. And then of course, when I got out of the SEAL teams, I wrote the book because I recognized that a lot of organizations and individuals were, were really, they were unable to articulate why teams weren't performing the way they should or why they weren't performing the way they should. And I think the attributes is a way to, to start to explain that. Mm. 
No, I'm very curious because you have, you mentioned in the book that there are 36 attributes and I think you didn't include all of them in the book. Yeah. But I, I realized that this must be so hard like to come up with these things and then to break them down into like what consists of what and how do they combine and, and like yeah. interact with each other. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about like how much time did you spend figuring this out or how did you go about it? Yeah, well, so so the when I did the work with the SEAL teams, we came up with 36 attributes for for what it what we were looking for for that particular SEAL command. Um, when I went to write the book, obviously I didn't want to write anything about SEALs. You know, I wanted to kind of make it more uh, generalized, and and so I basically focused on optimal performance. I said, what are the attributes that are required for optimal? performance <clears throat> and that's really when i was able to neck it down to about 25 now there are more than 25 attributes of course so i mean i I've, i've done work with organizations we have like a list of 40 or 45 attributes so there's, there's more than just 25 but these 25 really i focused in on optimal performance <clears throat> and then of course broke it into categories so in other words category one is grit what are the attributes that make up grit and the gritty person again people think that grit is its own attribute it's not it's a combination of these things <clears throat> uh, what are the attributes that define and describe how we, how our brains interact with the world? Those are the mental acuity attributes. What are the attributes that describe the driven person? Um, and then what are the attributes that describe great leadership? And what are the attributes that describe great team ability or the ability to function on teams? And so, <clears throat> so that's how I really came up with the 25. And then just and then and really just focused in on describing those. It's funny you should say how they interact. I I really wanted to write about how they interact with each other. But what I recognize is that <clears throat> if I tried to do it, it would have been a thousand page book and I'd still be writing it because there's so mm. many different ways that these things interact and react. So I, I really had to keep it very specific and say, okay, this is the attribute, here's what it is. This is the attribute, here's what it is. And then, you know, as we do work with organizations and teams, we talk more about how they interact with each other in interesting ways. Mm, yeah, very interesting. So you mentioned crit, which is like, made up of certain attributes and it's not an attribute itself and one of the interesting or what i found was one of the most interesting ones was resilience because the definition you provided in the book and how you explained it was different to what i expected it to be um, so could you maybe share that with the audience like how do you define resilience and how does it play into the bigger sense of crit yeah yeah absolutely and then and, and you know it's funny you should say that because a lot of people uh sometimes they sometimes conflate resilience with say perseverance um but it's not resilience is really the ability to when getting knocked down or knocked off a baseline or change um get back to your baseline so you think about a rubber band a rubber band is resilient because as you you stretch it when you let go it goes back to its original shape right that's resilience um and so so this speaks to our ability as humans to when we get knocked off that baseline in a challenging way or traumatic way, how effectively and efficiently can we get back to normal? Uh, but it also has to do with when we have high successes, like we get we get a really big promotion or something great happens, okay? How fast are we able to, to, to not get complacent, not rest on our laurels and get back to baseline? So, so our ability to kind of get pulled and pushed outside of our comfort zones, um, either good or bad, and then get back to our original baseline, that speaks to our levels of resilience. Mm. Is there anything that one can do to kind of get there quicker or like, because it seems like 
the attribute is kind of well it's a natural tendency but then also you say that each attribute can kind of be developed and to get back to that baseline in terms of resilience like yeah. do you know any like or what's your go-to method or tool that you use to do that yeah well i talk about one in the book and it's kind of a way to practice resilience and that's uh, my one of my uh one of my favorite commanding officers used to tell us Uh, he used to call it the two-minute rule. It was something his grandfather taught him. And the two-minute rule basically said, <clears throat> when something bad happens, uh, take two minutes and take that two minutes and kind of kick the dirt, uh, feel sorry for yourself, wallow, whatever. But after 120 seconds, get back to baseline, get back to work, right? Same thing when something great happens. Take two minutes, rest, you know, celebrate, rest on your laurels, feel good about, you know, feel, you know, you know, feel like you're king of the world or whatever. Um, and then after 120 seconds, go back to baseline. And so that's a way to practice this. Now, I would say there are things that happen to us in our lives, good and bad, that take a lot more than two minutes to come, <laughs> to come back from. So, so the two-minute rule should be used for those kind of small tragedies and small, and small accomplishments in life where we can actually use two minutes to kind of to, to, to get back. And it helps us practice that so that when the big stuff hits, um, we can, we know what we need to do. And if it takes longer than two minutes, it takes, it might take days. It might take weeks. It might take months. Um, but we know that our goal, our objective is to work back to baseline, right? So, uh, but so you use the two minute rule for the smaller stuff so you could practice it so that when the big stuff hits, you can, you can do it a little bit more effectively is the way I would uh, probably describe that. Mm, yeah. I, I think it's interesting that, as you said, you kind of practice with the smaller things happening in life. You kind of use them to develop these attributes and then you're kind of prepared when, yeah. when bigger stuff comes up. Right. And I guess that's similar with all the attributes. When you want to develop them, you can apply them to smaller situations or less significant situations and then apply them also. Or naturally, you will apply them when bigger stuff happens, right? You're 100% correct. I, the, the idea, though, is that... Um, When, so again, kind of let your audience know, um, when it comes to the attributes, first of all, we all have all of the attributes, okay? So we're born with all of them. The difference in each one of us uh, are the levels to which we have each. So I usually use adaptability as an example, but take adaptability. Um, if, if 10 is high and one is low, I would say I'm probably about a level eight on adaptability. That means when the environment changes around me outside of my control, it's fairly easy for me to go with the flow and roll with it. Someone else might be a level three, which means the same thing happens to them. It's difficult for them to go with the flow, difficult for them to kind of go with it, right? There's no judgment there. Our levels of adaptability, you know, if we were to think about our attributes on a wall and they're all dimmer switches, we'd all have different positions for our switches. And again, you know, to judge it would be like judging our hair color, it just is what it is. Um, But the idea is if you're lower on an attribute and you want to develop it, the idea would be, first of all, it takes three, you can't, you can't, you can't learn it the same way you can learn a skill, okay? Um, and so here's a quick one uh, for your audience to distinguish the difference between an attribute and a skill is to ask yourself, can I teach it or can it be taught, okay? If the answer is yes, it's probably a skill. If the answer is no, it's probably an attribute. So in other words, Timo, you could say, Rich, I want to learn how to shoot a pistol and hit a bullseye, right? I could take you out to the range and teach you how to do that within two hours. That's a skill, okay? Or you could say, hey, Rich, I want to learn how to be more patient. Okay, well, I can't teach you how to be more patient. So that's an attribute, which means, which means you have to do it. So the three criteria that are required to develop an attribute are, one, self-awareness. You need to know you need to develop it. 
Two, self-motivation. You have to want to develop it. And then three, it takes a willingness to deliberately step into environments that test and tease that attribute. So if you want to, if you want to uh, develop your patience, you got to go find environments that test your patience, <laughs> right? Ooh. Whatever that looks like for you. It could be, I'm going to go drive in traffic. I'm going to stand in the longest line at the store. Uh, I say always have kids, you know, you're young, but I mean, having kids will develop patience, you know, so, um, but again, to develop an attribute, you have to, you have to deliberately step into environments that are uncomfortable that develop that. And I think one way you could do that is to start small. You don't have to start big. You can start with small things and start getting, you know, getting that muscle in shape so you can slowly develop that attribute. Hmm. Very, very interesting. What's one attribute that you realized you don't have enough of or not as much as you want and then you kind of went out and developed it yeah i would say i always I, I, for me it was always empathy i think empathy was one i didn't have a lot of now that that can be advantageous uh in the special operations i mean again if you have too much empathy you're probably not gonna be able to do the job very well um but i always wanted to make sure i developed it and and so so i tried to develop it while i was in the navy and certainly since i've left the navy i've tried to really develop my empathy and try to be more empathetic to others uh, because I think for me it's it's help it helps open my mind as well um, and it gives me perspectives I otherwise wouldn't have considered so so empathy empathy is the one I usually I usually <laughs> I'm trying to work on hmm interesting so were there any attributes would you say that have set you up to kind of strive to become a Navy seal or <laughs> go into that field or yeah. what made you be, want to become a Navy SEAL. All right, well, there's two parts to that question. There's what are the attributes that made me want to become a Navy SEAL and what are the attributes that allowed me to become a Navy mm. SEAL? And I would say yeah. um, one of the ones that made me want to become a Navy SEAL was narcissism. And I know narcissism is often looked at, you know, in a negative way. I talk about it as an attribute in the book because, um, again, narcissism at its, at its elemental de definition is the desire to stand out, be recognized, and be adored. That's what it is, right? Um, now, there's narcissistic personality disorder. That's kind of the far end, and that's really a disorder, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, bad, that's a bad case, right? And, of course, there's people on the spectrum. Uh, but ultimately, if we think about the, the basic definition, every single human being on the planet wants to at some point in their lives stand out, be recognized and be adored, all right? So there's a, there's a, there's a hint of narcissism in every single one of us. Um, and so when I asked myself in, 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 during my introspection why I became a Navy SEAL in the first place, you know, of course I was a patriot and I wanted to serve my country. Um, but it was really, ultimately, when I really was honest with, my, with myself, I said it's because I, I wanted to see if I could be a badass. I wanted to see if I could do something that very few people could do. Uh, and, I, and I asked my teammates, I said, why, why did you become a Navy SEAL? And when they were really honest with themselves, of course they were patriots, but when they were really honest with themselves, I wanted to see if I could be a badass. There's a hint of narcissism there. And so, okay, it's driving you, drive, it drove us to these audacious goals. So we have to understand that narcissism as, a, as an attribute, specifically a driving attribute, can be very powerful in helping us um, set and pursue very audacious goals, right? So, so that was... That was certainly what got me in the door or part of what got me in the door. Once you're in the door, however, <laughs> you immediately become humble <laughs> because that's what field training does. 
Um, so humility is immediately apparent. That's what keeps your narcissism in check, right? Um, mm. uh, but I think I think the most uh, the most important ones for uh, for seals and making it through training were first courage. You know, the courage to, to try. Um, but then also, I'd go to the mental acuity ones. I'd say I'd say compartmentalization, the ability to really um, block out everything around you in your environment that is unnecessary in the moment and focus only on what you need to focus on. Uh, that is, if you can't do that in SEAL training, you are not going to make it through. And what's interesting is you have to be able to do that in combat as well, which is why it's 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 really selected for in SEAL training. But but when you go through that type of training where it's so, so difficult, um, you have to be able to block out a bunch of stuff and just focus on on small moments. And I th so I think compartmentalization is probably the, the one that, and you have to have it, by the way, when you show up to training, you can't you can't expect to develop it in training, right? If you don't have it on day one, you're probably not going to make it. Um, in fact, you're not going to make it. Or if you're if you're, I shouldn't say you don't have it. If you're very low on it, right? You have to you have to have a high preponderance of it. Uh, but I think those are the two most important ones that that allowed me to operate to get through training and operate as a as a Navy SEAL. Hmm, that's so interesting. Yeah, would you say that generally? for different careers or different jobs you could tell like this person has certain attributes so they are better for this job or better for that career is that applicable yeah yeah so that's actually the work we do with organizations um uh, because what we do is we help organizations figure out what that list looks like for them so every organization every team is going to have a specific set of attributes that is required for that team for that organization And that's going to look different depending on what you what you're doing. So in other words, the the attribute list or the set of attributes that's required to be a great Navy SEAL is going to look different than the list required to be a great te teacher or surgeon or or athlete. Um, and so we, we do is we help we go into organizations, we help them figure out what that list looks like so that they can then start finding well a hire the people they need to hire right from an attribute perspective but also start evaluating performance in a much more meaningful way so that we can start seeing okay if this person's underperforming maybe it's because they're not in a role that's that's accentuating the attributes that they're higher on right so um so yes the answer is the answer is yes you can you can uh figure out what attributes you have and you can figure out how that might match to a specific role or position or or career that you want to go into. Um, ultimately, if you feel like if you're if you're in a if you're in a job or a role or or doing something in your life that feels pretty good, it feels like it's fairly congruent. You're probably you're probably in the zone in terms of it's 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 congruent with the attributes that you have a preponderance of. There may be one or two that you might want to work on just to, to make yourself better. If you're in a if you're in a position, a career, a niche where you are just miserable and nothing about what you're doing seems to seems to be aligned with you, it's likely you're doing something that is not necessarily congruent with the attributes you have a preponderance of. So so that's why understanding these as individuals is really powerful. You can start to understand what engine you're running with, and and it can help you figure out if you're in the right place or if you're in the wrong place. And then as an organization, you can start to help really figure out what people you have, if you have the right people, the wrong people, or if people are misaligned, and then how to, how to go hire the right people. Hmm. Now, what can, because that's a good takeaway for everybody listening, and I guess everybody who's like working as an employee or generally um, who's in uh, deciding what career to take, 
how can people assess themselves which attributes like they have they are better at or have more of uh, yeah to figure that out what yeah. career would fit them well well so so one one way is to go to our website we have an assessment tool on our website and they can and you can take for free you can take an assessment to see where you stand on the grit attributes the the mental acuity attributes and the drive attributes so you can get a snapshot as to where you might stand um, and then it's really about introspection and it's really to start asking yourself so if you come up low on an attribute for example on the assessment you can say okay let me think about a time that i was in in a stressful uncertain situation where this attribute was required and how did i show up so if you find you're low on adaptability you start thinking about okay what was the time where the environment was changing outside my control how did i show up and you say actually no i didn't it was not easy for me i was i felt friction you say okay that this this kind of this is correct this feels good for me um so that's a that's a way you can do it it's really about understanding um and it's it's about some building some good habits of introspection and really looking back at times you've gone through stressful events um, and asking yourself, okay, how did I show up? Because those are really going to be the indicators as to the attributes you have. And then even I call, you know, I talk about in the book, I call, uh, call them dormant attributes. Those are the attributes that we're actually high on, but we don't know we're high on because we've never had a situation that's tested and teased that out, right? And so we can, can discover dormant attributes sometimes because we go through something that we'd never considered and we learned something about ourselves. And I would imagine anybody who's listening to this podcast and can think of a time in their lives that they can end the story with, I didn't know I had it in me, is an example of a dormant attribute coming to the fore that they didn't know they had, right? So it's these, mm -hmm. these environments, these situations that tease them out. Yeah, and I guess everybody can relate and had that happen before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's very valuable to assess yourself. And in the in the book, you also um, elaborate that after assessing the um, attributes, one should also try to figure out what values they they stand for, what core values they have. So that's also a big part of kind of self reflection. It is and figuring out our strength and what we stand for. Yeah. So. I highly encourage the listeners to to check that out and, and assess yourself and because it, it can help you in your career but also your personal life a lot. Yeah, one, yeah, one hundred percent. So we've talked before a little bit about attributes like um, resilience and you also, we also cover like grit, perseverance, everything. And what people often um, might relate with that is not quitting. But yeah. I, I heard that you said before that, you know, sometimes it's okay to quit or it might actually be better to quit. Why is that? Yeah, because um, it's best to think of quitting as a, um, so it's, it's really the difference between quitting and giving up. It's In other words, it's okay to quit, but it's not okay to give up, you know. Um, and you can think of quitting as a, as a kind of a singular uh, pointed act, right, that happens in the moment, all right. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to quit working out right now, or I'm going to quit um, my job, or I'm going to quit, you know, doing this or that, right? Um, whereas giving up is is more um, speaks to kind of a, a a holistic effort. So in other words, um, just because I quit today's workout doesn't mean I'm going to give up on getting in shape, you know. Uh, and so so the idea is quitting. Um, the ability to quit really speaks to your ability to look at where you are and what you're doing and ask yourself, is what I'm doing, does it make sense? Is it is it heading me in the direction of my 
of my objective? Um, if the answer is no, then it might be a good idea to quit, uh, idea to quit what you're doing and try something new. Um, and so I use in the, in the article I wrote, I use an example of just turning around on a, on a mission. Um, and, um, and the idea was, you know, we were, we were in a position where just a lot of things were going wrong. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately I had to make a decision to just stop the mission, to go just to, to basically quit the mission, go back to base. Um, it didn't mean that we gave up on the target, right? We, we, we had to go back to base. We had to re re jock, kind of keep our eye on the target and then try again some other time. Right. But, um, but in the moment it was the right decision to quit because things weren't just lining up and we, we could have, we were likely, or could have been, I mean, I guess we'll never know, but headed towards a disaster. Right. And so, so the idea is look at what you're doing. It's okay to quit. Just don't give up. Don't give up on the holistic thing. You know, you can quit the moment if it's not working. Definitely do that. Try something mm -hmm. new, but don't give up on the holistic thing. Yeah, I think many times people are too like they they want to stay to stay on track and keep doing what they're doing because they don't want to quit. But then strategically, it might actually be useful and the better thing, the most clever thing to do. So I like that distinction. And I think it's very important that people understand it, that taking a step back is not always bad. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, one other group of attributes that you have in the book is drive. And I think that's also something that probably everybody wants to have, you know, everybody yeah. wants to be driven. And one of the most interesting ones um, that I never heard of before, actually, and that I didn't consider was self-efficacy. So could you maybe explain a little what that means and what it consists of? Yeah, yeah. Self-efficacy is uh, is really a combination of three things. Uh, it's a combination of confidence. In other words, I know I can do this. Uh, initiative, the ability and the the the, uh, the 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 ability to take the first step, the desire and ability to take the first step to get going. And then a uh, optimism, right? And, and really, I'd say realistic optimism, the ability to say, hey, I, I I don't necessarily have all the answers now, and I know there'll be roadblocks, but as I go through, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out, right? And, and the reason why self-efficacy has to have those three, well, let me back up. The reason why those three are not, they're, they are attributes, right? But the reason why I don't talk about them like I do self-efficacy is because each one of those attributes by themselves Uh, is fairly inert. In other words, um, just having confidence is not going to get you anywhere. You know, I you know, just knowing I can do something is not going to get anywhere. If I don't have initiative, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even get started. If I don't have optimism, I'm, I'm not going to keep going. Right. So, so just confidence on its own is not enough. Just initiative on its own is dangerous because <laughs> then you're just going to hit the gas pedal without any, having any confidence or any optimism. Right. Um, and then just having optimism by itself is not enough, right? You can be optimistic all day long, um, but not doing anything. I mean, I can, I can sit up my, I can, I can plant my garden and stare at it and say, there will be no weeds, there will be no weeds, right? And if I just do that, um, I'm going to be disappointed when the weeds take over my garden. So just blind optimism is not good either. So, but if you combine the three, you get self-efficacy. And so I think self-efficacy is the combination of three and really a very basic attribute in the driven person. You have to, you have, to have self-efficacy to even begin to step into achieving those long-term objectives. And that's what drive is. Drive really speaks to the ability to, to set and pursue those long-term objectives and goals and challenges. That's what drive is. Whereas grit would be speaking more towards those shorter-term, more acute 
things that happen, those challenges. Drive is those longer term things. And that's why self-efficacy is so important. Mm. But I also you make the point, which is interesting, that self-efficacy itself, because it's a, it's a group of attributes that creates drive. So attributes themselves often don't make a big difference just in, in combination with other ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what are the other attributes that go into drive? Yeah, the next one is uh, is uh, open-mindedness. And again, that's um, really necessary as the, as the driven person, as someone who is um, who is... Uh, trying to achieve a goal that's long-term and, and challenging, uh, to have a closed mind is going to be very detrimental. So um, so open-mindedness is really important. Uh, then there's discipline. Um, again, discipline as it speaks to long-term objectives that the, that the outside world has a say in whether or not you achieve. In other words, um, the Navy SEAL, the uh, becoming an, becoming a, an author, becoming a podcaster, becoming a surgeon, right? The outside world has a say as to whether or not you accomplish that because the outside world is going to throw things at you that you have to navigate to accomplishment. Um, it's different than self-discipline. Self-discipline speaks to those goals that the outside world has no say in whether or not you achieve. So that'd be like, you know, getting in shape or eating healthy. Okay. Um, I can decide to eat healthy. And when I go to Vegas and I'm standing at the buffet, the buffet is not going to throw pastries into my mouth, right? It's all up to me. It's on me. So so there's a difference with in self-discipline. Then the, uh, there's a difference between self-discipline and discipline. In the drive category, discipline is the more important one because it, it speaks to those long-term objectives and goals. And to be disciplined in that way takes adaptability. Whereas the there are, there are some people who are very highly self-disciplined, and they're not they're not able to achieve long-term goals or objectives. They're not, they're, they, and part of that is because the highly self-disciplined person typically likes rigidity and structure. Um, and so, and when, when, when rigidity and structure is interrupted, um, it, they just get, they get all flustered, right? Well, everything about achieving a long-term goal <laughs> interrupts rigidity and structure. I mean, you're just, when you're trying to achieve something that the outside world, you're going to get interrupted all the time, right? And so, so you have to be able to do that, right? So, so that's why discipline is. Then we have cunning, uh, and again, cunning is often uh, thought of negatively, but cunning is really, at its basic level, the ability to kind of think outside the box when solving problems. How can I go around what I'm seeing? Uh, and again, the cunning mind looks at a problem and asks three questions. The first question is, what are the rules? The second question is, are they real or are they perceived? Okay, and then the third question is, if they're real, what happens if I break them, right? And that's what the and then the cunning mind seeks to look for ways around the problem, right? And I think any driven person has to have a preponderance of cunning to figure things out like that. And then finally, narcissism. We talked about narcissism. Narcissism can be an incredible driver for setting audacious goals, right? As long as it's just not um, it's not uh, over-indexed on. You don't want to go overboard. The way, by the way, the way you protect yourself. Um, from too much narcissism is to look at the people you surround yourself with. Again, the the uh, the disordered narcissists will always surround themselves with yes people, right? People who constantly bend the knee, they're constantly putting themselves on a pedestal or putting them on a pedestal and 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 deferring um, and paying attention to them. And again, they're also transitory. I mean, those 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 positions, those people can't stay in that position for 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 forever. So. Oftentimes, one will leave that group, and suddenly that person is enemy number one to that narcissist. Right? Um, that's how you can tell the 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 negative narcissism. 
Um, if we want to control our narcissism, we want to keep it healthy. We just we just surround ourselves. We make sure we're surrounding ourselves with people who who tell us the truth, who don't put us on a pedestal, who we're not we're not always the main show. They tell they they're honest with us. They keep us grounded. As long as we're doing that, we're fine. We can metabolize our narcissism in very healthy ways. But all five of those are drivers for uh, for human beings and and important attributes for the driven person. Hmm. So it was very obvious with narcissism and cunning that too much of an attribute can actually be negative. Is that also true for all other attributes? So would you say it's just those two? Yeah, all of them. Too much of anything is a bad thing. Because even think of, I mean, I guess, I guess the, um, I get. I'm just trying to think if there's if there's one that I can think of that is not uh, that is too much is not bad. I don't I don't know if there is. That'd be a challenging question. But think about. It. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have too much adaptability. You're like a you're like a limp noodle. Right? I mean, you're just you don't you're there. There is no rigidity, right? If you have too much courage, then you're probably not assessing risk properly. If you have mm -hmm. too much open-mindedness, you know, it could be an issue. So too much or too little of any of this stuff is is usually negative. Um, but uh, but the idea is where you where do you fall in those in those ranges? And sometimes and sometimes having Having not uh, not a lot of one, but having a lot of another can help you. So someone who, for example, who's low on adaptability, okay, but high on open-mindedness is probably going to be okay because their high open-mindedness helps helps cover them when the environment is changing around them. They might be a little uncomfortable, but at least they're open-minded about it, right? So, so, mm -hmm. so you can get away with some combinations that actually still serve uh, optimal performance. Hmm. I have another question that I'm not even sure if it makes a lot of sense, but I'm going to ask it. Okay. And I think this will be a tough one. Um, would you say that there are certain attributes that you kind of, that are more important to be a quote unquote functioning human being and others are, others are more like a cherry on top Yeah. or are they all like similarly important? No, it's a great question and not too difficult because I've answered it before. Um, okay. Uh, and and I did so. And I, you know, when I wrote the book, I tried not to to rank order these attributes. But in 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 being asked this a couple times, I said, well, maybe I need to. Um, I would say that as a human being, the most important attributes are the are probably the grid attributes. In other words, to be functioning mm -hmm. in society, if you don't have at least some courage, perseverance, adaptability, resilience, you're going to have a really rough go of it. I think. And so I think. Um, For everyday functioning human beings, the grit ones are probably the most important ones, um, and uh, and then after that is probably the mental acuity ones. Uh, if you have those, you can you can get away with life pretty well. But uh, if you don't have them, you're going to have trouble. Okay, awesome. Because I actually think that you kind of you didn't intentionally rank them, but I think that's the oh, yeah. they appear yeah. in the book. So you're right. I, in fact, I, I didn't intentionally rank them, but uh, but they happen to rank order because I think if I were to pick the number one attribute for any human, it's courage. I mean, we have mm. we, if you don't have at least a a small ability to step into your fear and step into your discomfort, you're going to have a really rough life. You really are. So I think uh, yeah, yeah, unintentionally they kind of rank order that way. So. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. How did you, or did you sense that since spending time with this and, and learning about it and then writing the book, like how has it impacted your life? Well, I mean, um, 
I mean, the, 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 the quickest answer is that when you write a book and it gets out there, it's wonderful to be able to meet people around the world. I mean, how else? You and I would never have been having this conversation if I hadn't written this book. And I've been able to have so many wonderful conversations with, um, with different people around the country, around the world. So that's really the, one of the best ways. Uh, obviously, it's, it's helped us develop, uh, my wife and I, to build this attributes business, which is a great thing to be working on since after spending 21 years in the military, um, I did not want to do anything military <laughs> related, you know, and so, and so we've been able to build this business and really kind of enter into this new chapter. And so, and so just that, that ability to kind of change identities has been one of the best, the best value and most valuable things. Uh, and then, of course, just, you know, after writing the book and working with clients uh, and, and, you know, exploring the content more and more deeply has been really cool uh, because I really love this stuff. I think it's really interesting. So um, I, I, I dabbled with it while I was in the SEAL teams and then writing a book about it has allowed me to kind of really dive in very, very deeply, which has been fun. Hmm. And did you learn anything about yourself while writing the book or were you aware of your own attributes and everything beforehand already? Yeah, no, I learned a lot <clears throat> about myself because I had to, I used myself as a gauge on a lot of it and, and really thought about, okay, where do I fall in this stuff? So I think I, um, in writing the book, I learned a lot more about the, my, my own attributes, uh, which, uh, which has been cool. And, and, and fortunately I, I learned that actually I've been, I was, I was able to pick a, a career that that fell in line with a lot of my attributes, which, which was great. Uh, but yeah, you, you always, if you do, I think if you do it right, you always learn a lot about yourself when you're writing a book. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's true. And everybody who was on the show yet said that because kind of when writing, you're processing your own thoughts yes. and kind of structuring them and then also reflecting uh, yourself. So I guess that's similar with, with, with all authors. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now, the show is called The Power of Books for a reason, because I believe that books have the power to change our lives. And I guess since you wrote a book, most authors are also big readers. So yeah. I guess you also have a, a few favorite books. And I'm interested, what were the one, two, three books that have impacted you the most or that were your favorite ones? Oh, boy. Well, I like I try to read a lot of different books. I, I'm. I, when I was a kid, I read, um, I'd read fiction and historical, historical fiction, which I liked. Um, and then as I got older, I started reading uh, nonfiction books, which I think have been, those have had a lot more impact. Although I, admittedly, I should probably, I should probably read a little bit more fiction because fiction really helps with your creativity, I think. Um, so, so I think that helps. But, but I, in recent years, it'd be tough to, it'd be tough to pinpoint. Um, specifics although i do love i think um so one of my friends uh his name is josh waitskin and he wrote a book called the art of learning and he josh waitskin uh, you may have heard of a movie called searching for bobby fisher uh, about a about a chess champion well josh, that movie's about josh uh, he was a chess champion at 16 and then he went and did some uh some uh, tai chi push hands became the the champion of that wrote a great book called The Art of Learning, which I've, I've loved and I still continue to, to read. I love Yuval Harari. I think I love all of his books. So Sapiens and I'm rereading Homo Deus right now. Um, I think the way he writes is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, my buddy Simon Sinek, I think he he's he's helped shaped me, shape me. My buddy, I have another friend, Dan Coyle, who has great books. Stephen Kotler, I think all these books. I, I like... Um, I like nonfiction, but I also like to look at how people write. And I think every author comes to their project with a with a different 
way of, of doing it. Um, and I, I enjoy kind of exploring those. So, uh, so that's a, I know that's kind of a long generalized answer, but those are some of the ones I, I enjoy. Yeah, but I'm sure the listeners will forgive you for mentioning a couple more because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they always look for book recommendations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, if anybody wants to check out your book and, and more of your content and want to follow you and learn more about your work, where can they find you? What's the best place to do that? Yeah, best place is the is the, the website, theattributes.com. And there you'll find all of our stuff. You can work with us if you want, uh, but also, you know, we have blog posts and newsletters and the assessment tool is there if you want to take that. We have a trust fall there if you want to do that. All my um, all my Instagram and Twitter handles are there uh, as well. So theattributes.com is really the best place. Awesome. Yeah, and I will also link that in the show notes so um, people can direct the access from the podcast. Perfect, perfect. Awesome. Well, Rich, thank you so much for taking your time. I really enjoyed it and I really loved your book and I think everybody should go check it out. And most importantly, do the self-assessment because that's where the real value is with the book, learning about yourself. So as I said, thank you. I really enjoyed it and... Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Timo. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. It's it's been great. Great conversation. Again, it's just wonderful that we can have a conversation at such a distance, uh, but feel like we're we're in the same room together. So. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Bye bye. All right. Thank you. All right. That's it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please leave us a five star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show to never miss a new episode. Also check out our YouTube channel if you prefer video podcasts. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye.